from the gospel. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. May my words find their source in God, who is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The preacher says in Proverbs, Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Proverbs 16, I mean, most of Proverbs speaks about walking in the way of the Lord, walking down the path of the righteous. But this, this proverb in particular, the one for this morning, speaks of the way of the Lord. It's better than the plans of, of people, <laughs> than regular human beings who devise evil in their hearts. It's a stark proverb. It's humbling. The plans of humans are mostly sinful, lead down a path of trouble, as he says in the proverb. The arrogant person, he writes, is an abomination to the Lord. He will be punished for his ways. But the person who fears the Lord is the one who turns away from evil, and the Lord establishes their steps. The scriptures do not describe the human condition in, in uh, very nice terms, in positive terms, rather explaining that the heart, the mind, uh, the thoughts, the actions of human beings are opposed to God, are evil, um, are sinful, disobedient. Elsewhere, people are described as behaving according to what they believe is correct in their own eyes, and therefore we're sinning against God. That has been the, the human condition ever since sin entered into the world. Human beings have thought that their ways were better than God's ways, and their thoughts better than God's thoughts. Their ideals better, their best even better than God's. And don't get me wrong, it's, I, don't, I don't believe that human beings can't do good. Of course we can. People give to charities, people help their neighbors. But it's the human heart that's bent on always acting according to that standard of living, that disobedience to God is what I mean. We cannot attain His righteousness. We always think what's better than, than, what's, than according to God's plan. And that's humbling. I will admit that. That's humbling. Humans think they know best, and it's usually not according to his blueprint for the world. Human beings desire power, high reputation, and will almost at any cost do what is necessary to protect their power and reputation. We each worship ourselves. We each honor ourselves and do whatever we can in our power to bring glory to ourselves. So the human heart needs God's intervention to live according to His will. If we believe that we are sinful, then we should believe and be humbled by the fact that God does help us, and we need God to help us to break us free from that power of sin that's in us, that's leading us all down a path of trouble, down a path of destruction. This is true even for Christians, for the church. We see this in our reading from 1 Corinthians. St. Paul warns the church, the Corinthian church in particular, 
Avoid getting entrapped in idolatry, he says, which is to worship other false gods. There was a bit of cockiness, it seems, from the Corinthian church, thinking that we're good. We're not going to fall into sin. We're not going to fall into idolatry. We're good. But based on what Paul writes in this, in this passage, he says, take care lest you fall. He, he warns them. He, he uses ancient Israel, God's people of old, in past times as an example. They witnessed the works of God. They passed through the Red Sea. They saw, they saw God part the sea, and they were able to walk through the dry land. They saw miracles performed through Moses. That was the power of God. And yet, they too participated in idolatry. They heard the voice of God. They actually heard the booming, thunderous voice of God. They received, they received food from heaven. They were set free from Egypt by God. And despite all these things, they still worshipped other gods. And this is, a, this is the pattern throughout the Old Testament of continuing to worship other gods. Even though God said, remind yourselves of what I did at the Passover, that I, that I rescued you. Remember to worship me alone, for I will give you rest. I will reward you. I will not punish you. And what happened? They continued down this cycle. They just continued on, and eventually they were exiled from their own land that God himself had given them. God's people who followed him by a cloud through the wilderness for many years still became entrapped in the worshiping of false gods. So what is Paul's point? If God's people who actually saw and heard him work among them, if they were susceptible to idolatry, God's people today are still susceptible to idolatry. This is his case. This is the this is the case he's trying to make to us. They ate the same spiritual food that we eat, that we eat here at the table. They drank the same spiritual drink that, that we drink at the table. They drank from the spiritual rock that Paul talks about. So we're, we, we, we received the same nourishment that they received but God was displeased with them, he says, and judged them by overthrowing many of them as they wandered through the desert. He had to punish them for their disobedience. These things took place, Paul writes, as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. He says this took place as an example for them. Let us learn from their mistakes, in other words. Let us learn to do what, uh, let us learn what not to do from their example. Put differently, we eat the same spiritual food, we drink the same spiritual drink, and should, and should therefore learn from their past mistakes. We are equally vulnerable to idolatry as the people of old. Further, Paul's exhortation is to avoid the desire for evil as they did. In verse 6, 
idolatry of any kind is described as evil. I think we like to soften our idolatry with pithy platitudes. or It's not that bad. But God demands our exclusive worship. Easy enough it is to think that we do not engage in idol worship ourselves. We think that it's just to set up a little wooden statue or to put up a picture to bow down to, to put fruit in front of or something like that. You know, we go to the various religions and think they're the one. They're, that, that's what an idol is. But I, but I don't do that. But he, um, he alludes in this passage to the golden calf incident. When Moses is on the mountain with the Lord, he's receiving the law. He's been gone many weeks, months even, and the people of Israel wondering, where is Moses gone? And so they, they get this, this idea in their heads. Let's make, something, let's make a God for ourselves. And, uh, and Aaron, who is Moses' brother, says, bring all your gold to me. And he says, I'll craft a God for you. And they said, this is the God. They, they crafted this, cow, this calf and said, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt. I mean, how... Horrible. And Moses comes down with the tablets and he throws them down in anger and he makes them drink it. Because God takes seriously who we, where we give our allegiance to, who we give our allegiance to. Instead of remaining committed to the true God, they worship the false God. And here is how I think we are idolatrous, is because if our priorities and goals are not focused around the Lord's will for our lives, we will quickly embark on the path of idolatry. I believe that in everything we do, I believe that the, the scriptures talk about this, that in everything we do, we are to honor the Lord. Not that we can't have fun, not that we can't enjoy what he's given us, but to say, this has been given to me by the Lord. How do I properly glorify him and honor him with what he has given me? And if we are not honoring him, it is idolatry. It's the worship of ourselves. It's to say, my ideas are better than God's ideas. They thought, let's build a calf. That's their idea, thinking our idea is better than God's idea. What was God, God's idea? Don't make a false God. And nobody is perfect. We all do not worship, honor, and serve the Lord as we should. We confess that every Sunday there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare, them, spare thou them, O God, which confess their faults. Restore thou them that are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. We confess, Lord, I've done the things that I should not have done. Would you please help me? That is the attitude of humility before God. Saying, no, I'm not perfect. Yes, I put things ahead of you. But would you help me down the path, the right path? To seek him. Uh, we, we can, if we're not striving to honor him day to day to, and seeking him, I think we can too easily slip into full-blown idol worship in whatever we do 
We can get in our minds that, man, I want the next thing. I want whatever it may be, the next, the new house, a new car, a new boat. <laughs> I, I think uh, I like books too much. <laughs> and, uh, and I think, oh, what, what next book can I get? And make it look good on the shelf. What do we do with the things we have, especially in light of the fact that all things are from the Lord? As Christians, everything we have is the Lord's, including our possessions, our time, and our desires. So take care, lest you fall. We're no longer condemned, but that doesn't mean that there isn't punishment. I think there can be a spiritual Spiritual separation from God in this time. It says in other places that he gives, he, gives those, he gives those who are in idolatry, he gives them over to their sin, he gives them over to their pleasure. And I think he does that for Christians as well. If you want that, go get it then. It's a stark warning. That's God's judgment. But he allows a way back to him. He is gracious, he is kind, he is loving. He is not a tyrant. He's not a dictator. He is just. But, he's, but he allows a way. He, we, we can repent if we truly desire to serve him. And, and we read in, in 1 Corinthians, he says, Even in the midst of temptation, there is a way out. There is a path forward. Seek him in it. So they were, they were led together in idolatry. Paul is framing this in a community, in a corporate setting. What I mean by that is a community. He's, talking to, he's not talking to individuals. He's saying they did this together and they were punished together. They banded together in the deceitfulness of their hearts and were punished together. So we all have to band together as a local church community in fighting against idolatry. If our goals and mission is not oriented towards the Lord's will, we will fail. We all must have our goals and priorities aligned together in order to focus on the Lord's will for our churches. What are the idols of today that we as the church community participate in? And I'm not pointing fingers. It's something to think about. Are we concerned with Numbers, growing in numbers instead of spiritual growth? Are we concerned or focused on increasing the finances rather than engaging in evangelism? Staying afloat and forgetting to reach out to the community? Are we faithful in what God has given us as a local church community? Remember what Jesus said in Luke's gospel, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. So faithfulness is key. Faithfulness of the Lord's will, desires, and mission is key in serving the Lord. So are the resources of this local church body being used according to the Lord's will? Spiritual growth more important. Conversion of souls is more important than simply filling the pews. Suffering for Christ is more important than rep reputation. Worshiping together on a Sunday morning is more important than being at the lake every Sunday in the summer. 
Are we faithful in what the Lord has given us? Have we committed our church and ourselves to the Lord's will? Are we walking on the path established by the Lord? Amen.